0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would speak your word to us, that we would hear your word, that we would be changed by your word, all to your honor and glory. And so we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Wherever you are, would you please be seated and turn with me to Romans chapter 5 read this morning, Romans chapter 5. We're continuing in our series through, uh, we can't say the whole book of Romans, we started a little bit late in the book, um, but looking through Romans together. So Romans chapter 5. So when I lived in Philadelphia, there was a certain Chinese restaurant called Han Dynasty that served a dish called chicken with hot dry pepper. It was one of the absolute best meals I have ever had. Just thinking about it, I can remember and re-experience it. It was just about the perfect level of spiciness for my taste. I would literally begin to sweat as I was eating it, but it wasn't so hot that I couldn't handle it. And the result was I'd sort of get this euphoric experience because of how spicy it was. And it was also the most flavorful, spicy I had ever had. And it was absolutely incredible. As the expression goes, it was to die for. I've been thinking about that phrase this week, it was to die for, in light of our reading in Romans chapter 5. So verse 6 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Dying for another, giving your life for another, making the ultimate sacrifice to save others. It's common to describe a soldier's work like that. And in fact, Jesus's word certainly Taking a bit out of context, but Jesus's words in Matthew 15, 13 are common in reference to fallen soldiers. A passage where Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. But of course, in John chapter 15, Jesus isn't talking about just anyone dying for their friends. He's talking about him, Jesus, laying down his life for his friends, the disciples. It's about him laying down his life for his friends, for us. But the point here in Romans 5 is even greater than that. Our text doesn't say that Jesus laid down his life for his friends, but here it says that he died for his enemies, for the ungodly, for sinners like us. Verse 6 again, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of Jesus. So we are often quite generous and sacrificial towards those we view as worthy recipients. So verse 7 talks about the rare occasions when someone might dare to die for another person, someone we believe to be good or upright. But the fact is, we're sometimes quite generous with people that we believe deserve it or are worthy of it. So I remember once when I was in Israel in the blazing desert sun and heat. And uh, we were all just dripping with sweat and uh, needing water, and someone opened up the sort of the the bottom part of the uh, bus that we were traveling around in, and we realized there was water under there. So we quickly start handing out all the bottles of water, and there was this sort of slightly chaotic line that I was at the end of, and I got literally the last bottle of water. And I needed it, and I was very, very thankful in that moment to have that water. But as I got the bottle, I start to open it, and I turn, and immediately, right behind me, I make eye contact with the Archbishop of Uganda. And he makes eye contact with me and starts to reach out his hands, and I immediately knew that I was being asked to give up this nice, cold bottle of water that I had just gotten but I needed to do it to someone that I respected. And so it was hard to give it, but I knew I could could sacrifice for him, someone that I respected very much. So in that moment, I did sacrifice, but I did it for someone that I viewed as worthy. But God did not sacrifice for worthy recipients. Not for people deserving his care. In just these 11 verses in Romans chapter 5, we're described as four different things. We're described as sinners, verse 8. That is, we are disobedient. We fall short of God's standards. We're described as ungodly, that's verse 6, that we've rebelled against God and do not follow Him as... uh, and we've refused to worship Him. In verse 10, we're described as God's enemies, that we've set ourselves against God and hold a hostility towards Him. And lastly, verse six, we're described as weak, powerless, that our plight is completely beyond our ability to fix it, and we are utterly helpless to solve the problem that we face. But it says that God sacrificed for his sinful, powerless, ungodly enemies. And it says in verse five that God has just poured out his love into our hearts even though we were at that time His sinful, powerless, ungodly enemies. God acts on our behalf and lavishly pours out His love for us, even though we were anything but deserving. That is what God does for us in Jesus. While we were still sinners, He pours out His love for us. And then in this passage, and what I want us to focus on for the rest of our time, is that Paul then focuses on a few results of that. Jesus dying for us and pouring out his love for us because Jesus, the Messiah, did all of this for us, because he died for us and rose again and pours out his love for us and justifies us and forgives us, because Jesus has done that for us, we see here results of that for us. And I want to specifically point us to three So the first is this, because Jesus died for us, we have peace with God. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is war language. We were God's enemies, it says. Verse 10, we were his enemies, but we have been reconciled to him. We've now, we now have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us, and the enmity is done away with, and we are now reconciled with God because of what Jesus has done. I was reading recently about a comedian who, after his death, his hidden family brokenness became known. And he had been completely estranged from his father over a hurt caused decades prior. And that cycle had then continued, and he was estranged from his own son as well. And the fact is that the pain of estrangement and even open hostility can be absolutely immense. And such enmity can often prove to be insurmountable, keeping people apart for a lifetime. That was the position, it says, between us and God. It was our fault that there was enmity between us and God. And on our own, we would just have nothing to do with him. But God, the, the innocent party, but God steps in and solves the enmity between us and him. We were God's enemies, but because of what God has done on our behalf, we no longer need to be. And we can be reconciled with God himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we can have peace with God. And this message is so important that did you realize we have a built-in weekly reminder of this specific reality in our worship services every week, that we now have peace with God. So in just a few minutes, we're going to confess our sins together, and then we're going to be reminded of the assurance of God that God forgives those who turn to Jesus in faith. And the very next words, after we've laid ourselves down on the mercy of God and been assured of our forgiveness, the very next words, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And I want you to notice the order because just like just about everything else in how we worship, the order is done on purpose. We confess our sins admitting our failure and throwing ourselves on the mercy of God. And then we are immediately promised and assured that because of what Jesus has done in, in coming and dying and rising for us that we can be forgiven and then we are reminded and encouraged that now because of that we now have peace with God. And the enmity is gone and we are reconciled to God and one another and then in our tradition we actually then go around reminding each other of that saying the peace of the lord be always with you and then just a minute later really the next thing in our liturgy we throw announcements in there so it kind of gets lost but the very next thing is now lift up your hearts We can know this reconciliation with God and a closeness and a friendship with God now that the enmity is removed through the death and resurrection of Jesus and our hearts are lifted up. So the first result of Jesus' death for the ungodly is that we can have peace with God. Second, Because Jesus died for us, we now have access to grace. Verse 2. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. God's grace, God's free gift towards us, who do not deserve it. God's gracious act of love for us in Jesus is sort of described as the sphere in which we now live. It's the place we now stand. God's grace towards us is not just some nice addition to our lives. His grace becomes the defining characteristic, the defining reality of our entire lives. So as it says in verse 21, a little bit after our reading for today, that we now live in the realm where grace rules and reigns. We've been transferred into a state where God's grace characterizes and defines our existence. And we're told that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we now have access to that realm of grace. And that's temple language. So in the the temple, there were parts that only certain people were allowed to enter. And so the farther into the temple you went, the fewer people were allowed to go. And at the very heart of it, all the way in, there was a space that only the high priest could enter. Only he had access to the place of God's presence on earth. But in Jesus, that access is just thrown open and granted to all. The doors are wide open and all are invited in. Not on our own terms and not in our own way, but through the way that Jesus made through his death and resurrection for us. The doors are thrown open and all who come to Jesus in faith have access to his grace. Because Jesus died for us, we have peace with God. And we now have access to his grace. And third, because Jesus died for us, we have hope. Verse 2 again, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And verse 9 about what it is that we hope for Since we have now been justified, been made right with God, since we have now been made right with God by His blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. That's the hope for our future, that we shall be saved. And we know that God has acted for us in Jesus. God has proved His great love for us by sending His Son for us. And because Jesus has died and rose again, we can be assured of the coming salvation on the last day. We can have sure and certain hope for what will come. And as verse 5 tells us, if that isn't enough, we've also been given the Holy Spirit as our assurance of God's love poured out for us. We know that we who are in Christ will be saved on the last day, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, and because we know that Jesus died for us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And we have reason for hope that what will come, that what He promises will come in the end because of what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. Now, that is not wishful thinking. Not all that we hope for will just automatically come about. We know that. So a, a few years ago, my then four-year-old son saw a wishing well for the first time. And so we decided this would be fun to waste our money throwing money into... There's the dad talking. But we, we pulled out a nickel or whatever so he could throw it in. And of course, we know this but we weren't thinking about it at the time, that children that age are very black and white in their thinking. So when we told him that you make a wish for something, he was absolutely, absolutely convinced that if he made a wish and threw this coin in, that what he hoped for would actually come true. And so we all went, we went to dinner, and then I couldn't figure out why he wanted to go back to the wishing well. And then, So I, I took him back and said, sure, we'll, we'll go take a look. He really believed that what he wished for was going to be waiting for him there. And we had this meltdown. I still remember he wanted a toy gun that shoots numbers because every four-year-old boy should have a toy gun that shoots numbers. And when we got there, he had a real meltdown because he didn't realize that that was just pretend. Just because we hope for something doesn't make it happen. But the hope that we have in Jesus is not wishful thinking. We have assurance that what we are told to hope for is in fact coming. We're reminded that we have the Holy Spirit, which proves that our hope in Jesus is well placed. And the objective fact of Jesus' death and resurrection for us proves that what we are hoping for is in fact coming. And we have every reason to hold on to hope in Jesus no matter what, even amid suffering and chaos and pandemics. And we can take joyful confidence in Jesus, even in the midst of suffering and anxiety and uncertainty, because we know that we will be saved in the end when it matters most. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by His blood much more shall we be saved by him on the last day. We can have confident hope because of Jesus' death and resurrection for us. See, the Bible assures us of God's love for us displayed through Jesus, dying on our behalf and rising to new life. Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for his enemies, who do not deserve it in any way. And because He has poured out His love for us like that, we now, in Christ, can have peace with God. No longer enmity, but peace. We have, in Christ, access to a whole new world characterized by God's grace. A new realm defined by God's gracious favor towards us who do not deserve it. And we have joyful confidence and hope in that what God promises will come in the end. The hope that we will be saved on the last day and enjoy the presence of God forever. And we have reason to hope because of what God has already done for us in Jesus. That is a life and a hope to die for. And it is a life and a hope that Jesus did die for. What is to die for? You are. And Jesus did. Amen.